We have journeyed together with Christ through this time of darkness and repentance. From the time he set his face toward Jerusalem and revealed the evil that was to come upon him to last week, when we found each of us calling out, crucify him. We extinguished the Christ candle last Sunday, the same candle that we light on Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We darkened that candle as we grieved Christ's death and as we recognize our part in the conspiracy against him. We repent of our wickedness. But today is a day of celebration. Today, the darkness has been dispelled. Today, the light of Christ shines again. For evil will not win. Darkness will not prevail. They thought they had silenced a beacon of goodness, but he would not be silenced, even by death. He was raised again. Goodness prevails. The true light which enlightens everyone has come into the world. John 1, 9.
be seated. Good morning. Happy Easter to you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are glad that you are here this morning. Welcome. We are so happy that you have chosen to worship with us here today. And we welcome our guests especially. Uh, you're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here this morning. And we'd like to ask, if you would, to drop by our hospitality table after the worship service. We have a gift for all of our guests today. And uh, if you would drop by there, we would certainly appreciate it. Just a few announcements we'd like to uh, call to your attention today. First of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets that are on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it up, fill it out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving to us and then pass it down the row so others can fill it out as well. And especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter that comes out each Thursday, we would encourage you to put your email news uh, email uh, address on there and we'll be sure to get you on our list. And that way you can be up on all the activities and opportunities for worship and fellowship and service here at Community Baptist Church. Speaking of opportunities, I would like to share with you a few of those opportunities today, uh, some things that we have going on in the next week or two. Uh, first of all, on Saturday, we will be serving lunch at the Salvation Army, and uh, anyone who would like to help in that, we would encourage you to do so. Uh, we will be meeting there about 1045 and be leaving probably somewhere around 1 o'clock. So we encourage you to be a part of that opportunity for service. And also, uh, if you are a graduating senior, uh, it's that time of the year. Graduation is right around the corner. And we have a little scholarship here at Community Baptist. So if, uh, if you are a graduating senior and you are moving on towards college or uh, technical school or something, uh, that you could use some assistance, then you can pick up an application for our scholarship here at the uh, church office. Uh, so pick it up here, and we need to have that returned by May the 9th. Also, um, with Easter coming so late in the season, uh, it comes really close to Mother's Day, doesn't it? Mother's Day is just a couple of weeks away. And uh, one of the things that we do here each year is, as a tradition is we have a Mother's Day breakfast, not on Mother's Day, but on the day before Mother's Day on Saturday. And uh, sometimes the ladies cook their own breakfast and sometimes the men cook for them. And this year the men are going to cook breakfast for the ladies. So uh, men, if you'd like to help in that, see Greg and we'll get things arranged. Uh, ladies, put that on your calendar. It's sure to be a special day. And also, you see the beautiful plants that we have here. We have a lot of different types of plants. Uh, we, we purchased these plants for Easter, but we're not going to keep all of these plants here uh, beyond today. So if you would like to purchase some of these plants, uh, they are for sale after the service today. And so if you would like to purchase one or more of these plants, please see Greg Gibson or Jerry Wagner or Phyllis McElwain, and they'll be glad to help you with that. Uh, one other thing, you will notice at the end of the service uh, uh, for our choral benediction, we will be singing the Hallelujah Chorus. And we know that a lot of people have sung that song uh, before, and many of you know that song. Our choir will be leading us in that song. But if you would like to join our choir for the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus, if you sung it and would like to come and, and join in the singing, we invite you to come up at the end of the service and sing along with our choir that wonderful song of praise to our Lord. So we invite you to do that. 
Now it's time for our greetings. And one of the things that um, I was reading through the Easter story this morning, and one of the passages came out and stuck out to me, as the women went to the tomb, and as they left from the tomb, it says, So the women left the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings, greetings. The Lord Jesus Christ greeted those ladies that day. And so I want to invite you today to step in his shoes for a moment and stand and greet each other with the, with the greetings of Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you so much. As, uh, it's, it's wonderful to have this time of fellowship and greeting. But as you find your way back to your seat, I'd like to invite our children to come forward for our children's moment. Come on up, children. kids. Come on up, kids. Jerry, come on up with that donut. I might get hungry while I'm up here. Okay. All right. How many came to the Easter Fest yesterday? How many are still full of sugar? Me too. Well, you guys know that when we go back for children's church here in a minute, we have a Bible lesson every week. So it's time to review. Now, some of you are not with me, so you might not know these answers, but I bet you can guess at some of these answers. And then we're going to finish the story. How many were here last Sunday when my friend Christine started the story and we put the balloons in the box? Do you remember that? Okay, we're going to finish that story too. So let me just see how well you guys are remembering what we're learning. Mm, We read a story about the bread and fish, okay, bread and fish for everyone. And Jesus, he fed a lot of people with a little bit of nothing. Jerry, how many loaves of bread did Jesus have? How many? You're on it. And then he had some fish, but he didn't have near enough fish to feed everybody. Sydney, how many uh, fish did he have? He had two. Very good. Um, Dane, you remember what he did with that fish and bread? How many people did he feed? 
over 5,000. Okay. And then we talked about Jesus went to the mountain and he was just kind of spending some time by himself and the disciples got into a boat and the winds came. Does anybody remember? They left Jesus. Does anybody remember how Jesus got out to the boat? Yes, sir. He walked on the water. Yeah. And then we talked about what we're talking about now. Jesus came to Jerusalem for Passover. Do you guys remember what the townspeople put down so Jesus could come into town? Does anybody remember that answer? Okay, we might need some help on this one. How about our adults? What do you you put down? Palm leaves, that's right. And then Jesus was a servant. And he washed something for the disciples. What? Did he wash their feet before they had the Last Supper? And do you remember at that Last Supper, one of the disciples, Jesus knew that one of those disciples was not going to be nice to him. He knew that he was going to betray him. Does anybody remember that disciple's name? The one that betrayed Jesus. Anybody want to help them out? Judas. Okay. Now, let's finish where Christine started last week. I think this is where we were back in the back. Now, Joseph, remember Joseph? He was the one that Jesus liked. Now, Joseph was sad. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body so he could bury it. And remember Christine took the balloons and put it into the tomb last week? Joseph took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in. What did he wrap it in? Fine cloth. And then he put it in a tomb that had been cut out of solid rock. The woman, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee were there too. They watched Joseph place Jesus' body in the tomb and they put a large stone in front of the cave opening. And then they went to get things ready for the burial. This was Friday, and Saturday was the Sabbath. It was against the Jewish law to bury anyone on the Sabbath, so they had to wait until Sunday. On Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and some other women went back to the tomb. To their amazement, the stone had been rolled away. The women went inside. Jesus' body was gone. Now remember, Christine put Jesus' body balloons in here. Okay, now these ladies are saying Jesus' body's gone. Suddenly, two men in shining white clothes stood beside them at the tomb. The women were afraid and fell to their knees. One of the men said, Why are you looking in the place of the dead for someone who is alive? Jesus isn't here. He has risen from death. The women left the tomb. They had to tell the 11 disciples right away. Most of the disciples didn't believe the story, but Peter ran to the tomb. He looked inside. The only thing he saw was the fine cloth that Joseph Joseph had wrapped around the body of Jesus two days before. And the next story that we're going to read back there when we leave here is about Jesus is alive. But do you think when Christine put the balloons in here... Do you think Jesus is still in the tomb? You do? You think we should cut this box open and see if Jesus is still in this tomb from last week? Okay, let's see. Please. What do you think, Joseph? 
Joe, excuse me, Kelsey got on to me. And by the way, while we're seeing if the tomb is still alive, let me just say our pizza contest ended today. Miss Cindy Hall, you pulled from behind. You're the winner. Okay, here we go. Let's see here. Oh my goodness. Let's see what... <gasps> Jesus has risen. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. All right. Awesome. Okay, I need everybody, um, two, three, and four-year-olds to go with Miss Kelsey, and I need kindergarten, first, and second to go with me, and we'll quietly go to children's moment, or children's church. Thank you, guys. Today we're reading from, this, uh, from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to switch over to Acts chapter 10, 34 through 43. And if you'd like to read along with me in your Bible or the uh, words are on the screen above my head. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in, and the stripes of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not, did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then Acts 10, 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to his people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing, all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of the living dead. All of the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name.
Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we gather today as a body of believers that believe that you have truly risen from the grave, that you walk among us, that you love us, and that your word and your doings on this short time of earth has truly impacted us. Even today, as we gather in your house to worship, we know that you are with us, with us in our good times and in our bad times. We are your words, we are your action, we are your people who need to reach a world that do not understand of the victory after death, that death doesn't keep us from being away from you, but that it brings us close to the one who loves us, who created us, and has a plan for each of us. May we be as excited today with the freedom that has come from the grave in the days to come, and may we share it to a world who is hungry for this freedom. Thank you so much for loving us. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Oh,
Together today, dear Father, at this altar, collectively, yet all of us different, all of us are family members, all of us have problems, some greater than others. Convict us, dear Lord, this morning to act together in love and to act together and to look to you for, for guidance. Thank you for your great gift on this great day. In Christ's name, amen.
ascended to heaven, from death he was set free. Now he sits at the right hand, and he's waiting for you and me. when they do that to me you know they do something so great and I have to follow that (laughs) well let me ask you do you believe how do you not after that and and I hate to begin my sermon with such a a flippant reference to music after such a wonderful song thank you thank you choir for that it's such a such a wonderful song and message there but here it is country music star Kenny Chesney sings a song that goes like this. Everybody want to go to heaven. Hallelujah, let me hear you shout. Everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. You know, we laugh about that, but, but deep down in our hearts, we know that it's true, don't we? We Christians talk a lot about heaven, but Regardless of how wonderful we've heard it described, most of us are not that eager to get there. We're kind of like the kid in his Sunday school class who was learning about heaven. His teacher was 
extolling the blessings that we can anticipate when we get there. She talked about the angels and the mansions and the the streets of gold and the pearly gates. She talked about how perfect everything would be there and a place where no one would ever have any problems or pains or be sad or worried. She made it sound like the most perfect place ever, which, of course, it is. But then she asked, who wants to go to heaven? And everyone raised their hand except little Billy. And so the teacher asked, Billy, don't you want to go to heaven? And Billy said, yeah. And so the teacher asked, then then why didn't you raise your hand? And Billy responded, because I thought you were getting up a group to go right away. (laughs) Well, that's the way it is with most of us, isn't it? We love to talk about the beauty of heaven and we love to sing about going there. We love to to hear the words of hope about life beyond this earth. But we're not all that anxious to get there, are we? And the question is, why not? Why not? I mean, don't we believe that the grave is simply a passageway to eternity? And don't we believe that that which awaits us is far superior to that which we have now? So what is our hesitation? Could it be that in spite of all of our expressions of faith, we have some subtle fear that the gospel is just too good to be true? Author Ron Mill tells about a bridge in his hometown of Portland, Oregon, that goes nowhere. When that bridge was built back in the 1960s, it was designed to accommodate a freeway, but the freeway was never completed. The result is an exit that drops off into empty space. You can see where the road was supposed to go. It it juts out just a bit from the bridge, and, and then it's cut off as if it were sliced with a giant knife. The exit ramp, permanently blocked, quite literally goes Nowhere except into the waters of the Willamette River. Well, that's how some people look at the grave. They see it as an exit off of the freeway of life that goes nowhere. That's our fear. But our hopes reside, reside elsewhere. For you see, deep down in our hearts, there's a, there's a longing that the bridge of life has been completed. And that life does not go nowhere, but instead it goes on when we are done here on this earth and and that those who we have lost in this world will be reclaimed in the world beyond. It's like a story that Ed Marquardt tells about a young American author who has written a short story. But like so many young authors, he he borrowed a plot from a, a more famous older author. He borrowed his plot, but he, but he wanted to improve it and, and change it. Well, the young author was a realist and not a romantic like the older author was. So he, he took the plot of the older author and he rewrote it and, in, in what he considered to be a more realistic way. Well, one day the older author invited the young author to come in and, and to read his new revised story to him. And, and the plot was like this. 
It was much like the prodigal son. It, it was a story about the son of a poor widow who lived in a small town in Pennsylvania. And, but one day the young boy set out for New York City to seek his fortune. And as he left his home, his mother said to him, Johnny, you're going to New York, but I want, to, I want you to remember that if life ever gets bad for you, you can always come home. There will always be a light on in the window of our house to remind you that, they are all, that you are always welcome at home. Well, according to both versions of the story, Johnny went off to New York and he had a bad experience there. Life went from bad to worse and he ended up penniless and friendless. And he finally remembered, I'll go home. Mom said that there would always be a light on in the window for me. But in the new version of the story, the young man returned to his village and, and as he came over the crest of the hill, he saw that his house was dark and there was no light in the window. Slowly, the old author rose quietly to his feet and spoke softly but firmly to the young author. You put that light Back in the window. I don't like your story. The way it is. And that my friends is why we make our way here to church. On Easter Sunday. It is to be reassured that the light still burns in the window of heaven. We come to this place to be reminded that Jesus really did rise from the grave and that because he lives, we too shall live. But how do we know that? How do we really know that the resurrection is true? Well, to answer that question, Kent Crockett points to a more recent event. On April the 15th, 1912, the RMS Titanic, the largest passenger ship in the world at the, time, at the time, sank in the Atlantic Ocean. The Titanic was on her maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City. It was designed by some of the most experienced engineers of its time. These engineers used the most advanced technologies available to make it the safest ship ever, ever built. Many thought it was virtually invincible, and, and thus the world was shocked with the news of its sinking. The sinking of the Titanic is one of the best-known events in all of the 20th century. But let me ask you something. How do we know for sure that the Titanic really sank? Lillian Asplund, the last survivor of the Titanic, died in May of 2006. And so no one is left alive who, who can give us an eyewitness account. So does that mean that it never happened? Of course not. Approximately 1,500 passengers drowned that day, but 700 passengers survived. And those survivors were eyewitnesses to this event. And even though none of them are alive today, newspapers record, recorded their comments about what they saw and what they experienced. And, and as far as I know, no one today doubts whether the Titanic sank or not, because we have a record of the eyewitness reports. So how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? How do we know that it's really 
real. Well, just like we know about the sinking of the Titanic, we know through eyewitness reports. Just like with the Titanic, there were people who were there. They saw him. They experienced him. They saw the nail prints in his hand and the mark of the the sword in his side. And their eyewitness testimonies have been preserved for us in the scriptures. The Apostle Peter was one of those eyewitnesses. We have his testimony in Acts 10 as he was preaching in Caesarea to a Gentile audience in the home of a, a Roman officer named Cornelius. And here's what he said. He says, you know, the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. We are witnesses of everything he did, says Peter. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Did you hear that? Simon Peter was there. He was there in the courtyard when Jesus was falsely accused. He was there when they nailed him to the cross. He was there when the the women went to the tomb and found it empty. He was there when, when Christ appeared after his resurrection to his disciples. He was there. And these words from the book of Acts are an eyewitness report to this. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that there were about 500 such eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And so we have this eyewitness testimony. Just as convincing as the eyewitness testimony to the sinking of the Titanic. In fact, I would say that these witnesses are even more convincing than those of the Titanic. And here's why. These eyewitnesses were so insistent that Jesus rose from the dead that they were willing to die rather than recant their story. When they were threatened with death and offered their release, if they would refuse Christ and deny Christ, they would not do it. And for that reason, most of them died a terrible death for what they knew was true. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Thomas was killed with a spear. James was executed with a sword. Philip was crucified and Stephen was stoned to death. My friends, it is hard to dispute the testimony of an eyewitness and especially one who is willing to die rather than recant their story. So we know that the resurrection is true because because of the eyewitnesses who gave their life defending that truth. But we also know that the resurrection is true because all of creation testifies to it. Pastor Billy Strayhorn tells about a visit that he made to a woman whose husband had died and whose funeral he had done just a couple of months before. 
It's one of those dark, drizzly days, one that we're very familiar with in the past few days here. Pastor Strayhorn wasn't even sure that Emma would, was at home, but the house was dark. It was all closed up. And all the blinds were closed. The curtains were drawn. And, and he rang the doorbell, but he didn't hear anything inside. And, and so he knocked at the door, and then he heard a quiet voice said, I'll be with you in a minute. Well, Emma finally came to the door, and, and as, he, as he walked down the hallway to the living room, Strayhorn couldn't help but to notice that the whole, ha- whole house was dark. It was sealed up like a tomb. They sat down, and, and they went through those first few minutes of formalities that you go through when you, you have guests. And then all of a sudden, Emma burst out with a question. Is the resurrection real, she asked. And Strayhorn said, yes. And she asked, well, well, how do you know that? And and so they talked about the passages of Scripture that dealt with the resurrection. They they talked about the passages where Jesus foretold his own death and and gave the the promise of his own resurrection. They talked about how they had to accept it by faith. It was all very biblical and theologically correct. But evidently it was not enough. With a deep sigh, Emma finally said, I want a sign. I want a sign. Well, Strayhorn Strayhorn told her that the only sign that he knew of was an empty tomb. But Emma said, that's not enough. I want more than that. Well, as they talked, the rain had been coming down harder and harder, and it had gotten even darker outside, and the day seemed to match their moods. Strayhorn himself was depressed. He had, he had come to help her, but hadn't done a very good job. But before he left, they prayed. And he prayed for a sign for Emma. Something to ease her grief and something to help her know the, the truth of the resurrection. And as they walked down the hall, he, he felt sort of useless. He didn't feel like he had been able to help her very much. But then when he opened the door, the first thing that he noticed was that it, it had stopped raining and the sun was starting to peek out through the, through the clouds. The sky off in the east was, was still dark and stormy, but the western sky was beginning to, to lighten up. And at the same time that, that he heard the door close behind him, he looked up. And immediately he turned around and rang the doorbell again. And the door opened and he he took Emma's hand and he pulled her outside and pointed. And they both stood there in stunned silence as they looked at one of the most beautiful rainbows either one of them had ever seen. It was one of those full horizon to horizon rainbows. The, The color was brilliant. Emma started to cry and and then she started laughing and she looked at her pastor and through the, the tears in her eyes, she said, he's alive. He's alive. She gave him a big hug and and immediately ran inside and started opening up the curtains and the blinds. I'm glad. I'm glad that rainbow appeared in the sky for Emma. But you know, really all of creation testifies to the resurrection. The rhythms of winter and spring, the 
the beauty of a sunset and the certainty of a sunrise, you don't have to be a poet or a painter to recognize that all of this is just, it's just too wondrous to have happened with no design. He's alive. He is alive. The birds returning from their winter homes and the, and the tiny buds of the flowers that peek out from the earth at this time of the year all testify, testify to the fact that He is alive. All of creation bears testimony to the truth that Christ rose from the dead. But there's one more eyewitness that we need to take into account this morning. And that is the testimony of the Holy Spirit that's living within us. Paul writes in Romans 8 that that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the ultimate witness to the truth of Christ's resurrection. The Holy Spirit of God is alive within us. Years ago, Alfred Ackley put this sentiment in a simple gospel hymn that expresses this so well for us. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. I like the way Rick Calhoun puts it. He says the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was never meant to be proved, but to be experienced. As a matter of fact, he says, it cannot be proved because no one of us was there. We have to take the words of others who were there. Those early witnesses were very passionate about their testimonies. Many were to be martyred in defense of their convictions, but ultimately the resurrection is to be experienced, not proved. The most convincing evidence of the resurrection of Christ is the transformation of of the people who know him and who believe in him. He said, I decided long ago that the only proof of Easter I will ever need is my memory. I remember what my life was like before I met the living Christ, and I know what my life is like now. And I would not stand here to tell you that I'm always the man I should be, he says. But thanks to the living Christ, I'm not the man I used to be. The risen Christ has made all the difference in the world to me. And my friends, there it is. That's it. Christ living within us makes all the difference in the world. And so we come to this Easter Sunday reaffirming what the Bible and what creation, and what our own hearts tell us is true. Jesus Christ is alive. Hallelujah. He is risen. Amen. We're going to sing today a hymn of invitation, number 176, Fairest Lord Jesus. We're going to offer you an opportunity this morning to make a commitment to this Christ who has been resurrected. 
Maybe the resurrection has not been real to you and it's been something that's distant and maybe something that you kind of thought was true or, 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 or kind of thought in your mind, but it really didn't take hold in your heart and it hasn't really made that much difference to you. But I want to tell you something today. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world to all of our lives, whether we know it or not. And I hope and pray that you have made that commitment to Christ this morning. That you have acknowledged the fact that He is Lord. That you accept the fact that yes, He did die on the cross and He did that for us. But not only that, On the third day, He was resurrected from the grave. And because of that resurrection, we have victory over death. We don't have to worry about death. You know, a lot of people do, but we don't have to worry about death. And we don't don't have to be anxious about going to heaven because we know that because of what Christ did, because of His resurrection, we will be going to heaven. I hope you believe that. If you've never made that commitment today, I hope you'll make it. I hope you'll say yes to the invitation of Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. Perhaps you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to come and unite with us at Community Baptist as we seek to be the people of God here. Or maybe you just need a time of prayer. We invite you to come. Would you come as we sing together, 176, Fairest Lord Jesus. Easter benediction, which is responsibly read. It's in your worship folder or on the screen. All who have come to this house of worship, tell me what this day means to you. Because Christ has been raised, we too have been raised with Christ, who sits at the right hand of God. Therefore, we No.
Then let us go from this place with joy and celebration. Death has been defeated. Christ is alive. Your choir and I would like to invite anybody who would like to sing the Hallelujah Chorus to come up and sing. I've got music. Got sopranos, altos, tenors, basses. <laughs> 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 Billy, 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 Billy,
Happy Easter, everyone.